All right, we'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to continue in our series on 1 Corinthians, which we've entitled Issues, in this particular section, Relationship Issues. Uh, I want to invite you, if, you, if you're on our app, uh, and if you're not, I encourage you to, to uh, text Journey SI to 97000 and, and download that. But if you're on there, each week we have a digital bulletin portion of that app, and there we put the scripture. You can click right on it if you'd rather read there from your device, uh, but also some resources. Uh, and this week, one particular article that I'm going to reference later that I encourage you to, to look at for sure. So uh, fire it up, your app, get your Bible open, whatever it is. Let's look together at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read it, pray that God would help our hearts understand it, and then we'll talk through it, all right? So let's read it together. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and lords Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom, we are all th- through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? If, this, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so... By your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, then I'll never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Let's pray. God, we confess this is your word, and we ask that you would speak through it to us. Father, we sit under it, confess its authority, and ask that you would speak through it this morning. Would you use me to that end? Would you, would you use your spirit, Lord, to illuminate it, to bring forth life from it, to call forth those who are dead in their sins, un- to, to call them into uh, a, a life-giving relationship with you and those of us who, who already know you but, Lord, are struggling or are just leaning in to, to, to get one more step closer to you, would you provide that through your spirit across all who listen and all who watch this morning? Would you do that work? We ask it and hope it once again in your good name. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you grew up in a culture where there was no Christianity, right? Where like there was no evangelical churches. So there was no like neighbor down, like you, you had no reference for what a Christian was because you had seen no one live that out. 
right? So there's no, there's no churches. There's, no, there's not the kid at school that you know is a Christian. It's not your grandma or Aunt Susie or, or, or whatever. You, you don't have a paradigm for what it means to follow. Like you've never heard of Jesus. You have no idea what this Christian religion or faith is. And, and, then, and then you hear about it. Then you hear about the good news of a Savior who, as this text said, created all things, holds all things together, and yet stepped off his throne into the midst of all things, broken as they were, and lived a sinless life, the one that we couldn't live, and died a death that we deserve to die, and then, while he was buried in a tomb, three days later, came back to life, conquering death, and securing victory and salvation for all those who would trust in him. I want you to imagine, and you hear that, and you, and you believe. And in, a, in an instant, you feel your heart believe, and you, and you confess, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I need salvation, and I believe that this Jesus is that Savior. I want you to imagine that you, you do that, and then you, you sort of stand up, and you go, well, now what? Right? Because you don't have a paradigm. You don't know, like, what it's supposed to be, look like. So, so what do you do? You, you well, you know, you know, probably you're going to start asking the questions of the person who told you about Jesus, right? Like, which is the way it should be, disciples making disciples. So you're going to start asking these questions like, okay, well, now what? Do, do, I, do I do this? Do, do I stop doing this? Do I, do I start doing this? Like, what does this mean for me like, in, as far as my life? And that is very much where the Corinthians were. It starts out saying now concerning, which means Paul is moving on to another question that he's got from this church, his people, they're asking questions because not only was their conversion recent, like they, they had recently become Christians, but honestly, Christianity is recent, right? Like it's new. They, they, so they don't know what it means. Like some of them are Jewish. Some of them are, are pagan. Some of them, are, you know, are just influenced by all sorts of Roman culture and imperial, like they've got all sorts of influences, but they don't, they've never seen somebody live that out. So they're just asking Paul, like, hey, what about this? What about this? And so today, uh, they are asking a question that I'm sure all of you are asking. Can we eat food that's been sacrificed to idols? Right? Like, I'm sure that that's just a pressing question for everybody that's tuned in this morning. Can I eat food that has been sacrificed to idol gods? But before you write this off as, as not for you, uh, I, I want to, you know, flip it and, and show that, man, the Bible speaks to the other side of that too, because most of you, that was not your story, that you grew up not having an, you know, not having a paradigm. In fact, most of you, your story was probably the opposite, where you had lots of different examples of what a Christian was, right? And oftentimes, some of those were bad, right? Some of you, that's what kept you from becoming a Christian for years, right? Some of you are, are watching today, and you're still holding out from Christianity because of what you've seen from Christians or people who call themselves Christians. That that's what's key. I talked to somebody just the other day. That's what they said. I don't want anything to do with Christianity because I've, I'm disgusted by its people. Listen, so that, that's, that's true of, of many of us as, as much as it's like the Bible speaks, the good news is the Bible speaks to both the one who's starting from scratch and the one who's having to sort of sift through the good and the bad and process, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And this passage is a beautiful reminder of the kind of culture, the kind of people that the gospel creates. The, the people that the church is supposed to be 
is wrapped up in this passage. So I'm eager to get into it with you and, and walk along the way and, and make some, some in, or draw some insights from both my own life and then, okay, what, what does it mean? Even though we're probably not trying to discern whether we should eat that meat that has been sacrificed to idols or not, there's plenty of implications for us today practically. So let's look together. Uh, first of all, the issue. Here, so here's what's going on in the Corinthian culture. They are um, in a culture where meat is not common. Right, so it's not like you and I where we have, most of us have some form of meat at almost every meal, right? Some, um, something that came from an animal and, and it's not common for them. And so in fact, what was common is that the animals would be sacrificed in temples, uh, often to pagan gods, this God, that God, and they, they would have these temples set up and people would bring the offerings of an animal they would slaughter it. They would give it in worship to this pagan god, this idol god. And then after the worshiping of that, then they would continue in that by actually eating that meat. And so many pagan temples in this day actually had what was kind of like a, a, a restaurant off to the side. of it. How many of y'all miss restaurants? Right? How many of y'all miss going out to eat? Man, I do. Uh, sort of. We're at that age where we've got a bunch of little kids. And my wife and I have like short-term amnesia where we think we're going to enjoy that. Right, and then we go, and we're like, "Well, this is miserable. Like, why did we, why did we just spend seventy dollars to yell at our kids that buy them food that they didn't eat, and then we didn't even get to eat our anyway?" Sorry, that was a, a personal. But I still, nonetheless, I miss going out to restaurants. And um, but in this day, often that was the that was what they would have is restaurants. They would be attached to these these pagan temples, and people would would eat there. So a family would bring an animal often and sacrifice, and they would eat part of it. But, you know, I don't know if you've ever sat down and tried to eat like a whole animal. Usually that's not a one-sitting thing. So there was some left over, right? And so they would serve it to other people in the area. would come in and sit down, and they would eat some of that as well. And then, honestly, there would still be some left over. And so they would actually send that meat to market. And people would go and purchase it there. So this became a debate amongst the, the Corinthian people of whether or not it was okay to eat that meat. Whether or not it was okay to eat food that was sacrificed to idol gods. That's the issue. That's, that's what's going on uh, for the people here in Corinth. And so some are saying it's okay, right? One side is saying, hey, we have knowledge. Paul is, 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 is saying in the very beginning, and I think he's really using air quotes here. Uh, Paul is speaking to people, and, and they've had, you know, they have their, their sayings, and so Paul is sort of quoting them, and he's saying, we know that all of us possess knowledge Right? And, what he, and so they're saying like, hey, we know the truth and we know that there's only one God. So these idols that people are talking about, they're not real anyway. So it doesn't matter that this meat was sacrificed to it. That's a fake God. It's not real. I'm going to eat the meat. Like, leave me alone. I'm going to enjoy my steak. Right? Like, case closed. It, it, you, and if you disagree, you're frankly ignorant or dumb or whatever. And that was sort of, you know, the argument from one side. The other side is saying, hey, this is not just a, a neutral practice for me. Like I, I've lived my whole life going to these places and it wasn't just a, a, a dining experience for me. In fact, I was worshiping in those moments, right? I was giving myself to those, those pagan gods. I, that was, that's part of my, my lifestyle. And so for me to, to do that or for me to see others doing that is, is a problem. We have a conscience issue. We're going to talk about that more Later, And so there, there's two sides saying, I'm not sure that we could ever, as Christians, knowing that there's only one God, I'm not, I'm not sure that we could ever partake in food that's been offered to and sacrificed to other gods. And so, so here we, be, we 
kind of get into where both sides are, are saying uh, the other is wrong. And so the, the Corinthian church is once again divided on another issue. Paul started out this book talking about how unity was one of the most important things. They were divided over different leaders. Well, I love this pastor. I love the way he preaches, and I wish he was my pastor, and I want, and Paul's already dealt with that, and here's another issue where there is division that is happening. I, th- I think this church, honestly, in our day, like, be ripe for a split, right? Like, two, the, the two parties, where they would just head their own way and start their own church. That's what happens so often. But Paul is going to unpack a different way for them. Paul is going to preach the truth to both sides and bring them together to what God has actually called us to. And what he says, Idge, is he's going to direct them away from knowledge and towards something greater. Why? Because he says this knowledge that they are so proud of, he says it puffs up. Verse 2, or actually verse 1 still, it puffs up. So, the, the knowledge that they're so proud of, well, we know this, so that means this, so we're just going to do this. He says, you've got the wrong posture in that. Because your, your knowledge, what you're so proud of, has led you to arrogance. It's led you to being puffed up and looking down at others who disagree with you. And he says, but love builds up. Now, this begins what is going to culminate all the way in, in chapter 13, of 1 Corinthians, which is the famous wedding passage, right? The love chapter, where it says, love is this. If I have not love, and it goes, and so this begins this trajectory where Paul is, is, is taking these people who are divided and, and are arguing, and he's, and he's pointing them beyond just, hey, what can I do? What can I do? To, hey, what should I do? What ought I do? Not based off of my personal freedoms, but based off of the collective good of the church body. So Paul is beginning to, to take that, that, that journey with them. And so he says, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, makes people proud. Love seeks to build up. He says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, if anyone's proud of what they've learned and they come in with that, that angle, that attitude, let me tell you what's right and what's wrong. If anybody has that posture about them, and he says, he does not yet know as he ought to know, the end of verse 2. Verse 3, he says, but if anyone loves God, then he is known by God. And being known by God, knowing like that exchange does not lead to arrogance and a puffed up spirit, but rather a, a humility and a love that is transformative, that is diffusing, that puts others before them. And so Paul's saying, if somebody's coming in with this angle, though, I'm right and this group is wrong and how dare they, uh, then man, that's not the gospel fueling that. We talked about that on an episode of Fermented Faith a few weeks ago where there's the difference when we're seeking truth. Are we actually seeking what is true or are we kind of you know, seeking our, ide- or our ideology, right? Where an ideology is, is basically saying, this is, this is what is right and, and it really is rooted in an absolute um, disbelief that the other side even has legitimacy, right? It's saying, I don't even, like, what you're saying, it's not that I I think I'm right and you could be wrong or you have some good points. It's that, man, this is right and you're a fool for believing that. There's no way, right? And so a lot of times we operate, we have our ideology and we sort of look through that lens to a number of other issues and we interpret it that way. And Paul is saying that you've gotten puffed up at that point. You've, You've began to believe that what you think is the only way and there's no way that your brother or sister could even they must be ignorant to think such a thing. They must be foolish and 
That, Paul says, is, is a problem, and that is not what it means to grow closer to the Lord is going to bring humility, not arrogance. So he goes on, verse 4, he says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be many so-called gods in heaven and, and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, and so there are idols, there are different things that people you know, worship in, in this day and age. Some of them were just practical you know, material things. Others they believed were a multitude of gods in heaven. And Paul's saying, we understand that, that, idea, that those theories, those um, religions exist. Yet for us, the people of God, there is one God. It's God the Father. This is pointing back to the, the Jewish Shema from Deuteronomy 6, that our God is, is, is one. Right? And so there's a tension, right? The, the Trinity, we'll talk about that later, but our God is, is one. And so Paul's saying, this is true. So here's what I think, here's what I picture as this letter's being read. All right, so Paul writes this letter, sends it back with uh, one of the leaders. They, they, they gather the church together. They've got, they know, they, okay, our pastor's answered all these questions and they're eager to see, okay, what, you know, what's he say about this? What's he say about this? And I, I, I got a picture that both factions are sort of eager for this part to come up, you know, expecting that Paul is gonna, you know, uh, put the other side in their place, right? Settle the dispute once and for all. And what Paul does is actually something different. He diverts the issue to not, okay, you're right and you're wrong, but, but rather, hey, love. Rather, this is not about knowledge and, and getting this thing right or that thing. The deep, like, no, no, it's, you're pursuing the wrong thing. And he invites us to pursue love. And so in this, what, what we begin to see is Paul is pointing us to the fact that indeed there is truth. The people who are saying, hey, we know that God's, God's like one God and the worship of pagan gods is not a real thing. So eating, you know, uh, meat sacrificed from, you know, pagan worship is not a big deal because it, you know, it, it's not, we believe there's one God. Those gods aren't real. And so Paul's saying, that's actually true, right? For us, there's one God and, and through him, all things were made and we exist Right? And so he's saying that is true, but then he's going to say, however, not everybody gets that. Not everybody's there yet. And so it's not about, you know, just waiting for you fools to figure it out and come along, but rather we engage with one another in this pursuit of unity and love that is honestly grossly lacking in so much of our culture. And I referenced earlier that we all have different examples and paradigms of what church was. And, and for me, uh, this passage has been super encouraging as it's reminded me of part of my own story to that end, that, that I, I grew up around church and uh, it was even on staff at church from an early age. And, um, and I began to get really disenfranchised by some of the junk that I saw happen in churches. I came on staff as a 19-year-old youth pastor, and within weeks, I, was, I found myself in a deacon's meeting, which was the leadership kind of, you know, council of this church, and there was this heated debate going on about whether alcohol was okay or not okay. And, and like, heated debate. And, we're so, and, and there was this debate about whether we should put it into our bylaws as a church that it was, that it was wrong for 
people to drink, and then it moved to, okay, well, maybe we can't do that because we can't justify that from the scriptures, but anybody in leadership is going to sign this covenant saying, I will not partake of alcohol while I'm in leadership at this church. And, and that was my, and this went on for, for weeks and months, and, and that was my experience. And then I saw more and more of that sort of thing, and I got really disenfranchised from the church. And, um, and honestly, reading this passage this week and then reflecting on the death of our founding pastor, Darren Patrick, um, this passage was such a good reminder to me of that neither one of those things are true because what happens so often is churches are either all about what's true and these rules and these rules and, and you know, we're focused on, on those things and we don't really care about people. We're just worried about these rules. Or on the other side of that, we see so many churches that are just care, uh, you know, in the name of people, they throw out all the rules. They don't care about the truth of God's word and they're all about tolerance and they're all about embracing whoever, whenever, and they don't teach these things. And, and I just, and that's all I saw was like, polarizing examples of that and it led to these factions. It led to this knowledge thing that Paul is talking about here and it was unattractive to me as a, as a young guy in ministry. That is not what I felt called to participate in. I didn't want to spend my life sorting out silly debates about this or that or I, I was like, man, people are dying and going to hell, right? Around us, people don't know about Jesus and the gospel and we're fussing about this stuff and I got really, really down. And honestly, it was, it was men like Darren and, and others that, that helped me believe in the local church again. Because I saw Christians, I saw a pastor that I thought, man, I, I could be a pastor like that guy. Like I could, I could do like that. I want to give my life to that. Why? Because he was cool and, and wore jeans instead of a suit. I mean, that's part of it. I'm not going to lie. Wasn't a big fan of the tie every week. But, but mostly it was beyond that. It was, it, was, it was about the closing. It was about the message that he preached and the things that they valued as a church. And this is why I'm here at the journey. This is where my story starts because I saw a church that, that was committed to both the truth of the scripture saying, hey, this is God's word. We're gonna preach it. We're not gonna apologize for it. There's truth here. But then at the same time, there's people out there that need to know this and we're gonna use every means that we can to reach them. We're not gonna compromise this, but we're gonna go after them. So it was a both and. We're going to hold both of those things in closed hands and, and, and live in tension. It's not always going to be easy, but truth and love are together. That's, the, that's what John says that, that we find in Jesus, that grace and truth are both indwelled fully in the person of Jesus as he comes as the image of God. And that is what we should be seeking to live out as a church. Not perfectly. Yeah, yeah we got our issues, but that is why I'm here. And, and as I was thinking about it this week, I was so encouraged. And, and as I was thinking about, you know, how awful it was and, and it's just trying to process my own you know, relationship with Darren, which was, was complicated at times, but then the good things and, and, and what I just described to you, like, oh man, this is how I got here. And it just began to well up into this wind that was once again blowing into my sails of why I do what I do, why I feel called to what I'm called to in this church and this gospel. And the greatest way that we can honor our, our, our founding, like the guy that we love that, so, that impacted so many of us is to continue to embody that, to be that sort of people that are not puffed up by knowledge, but rather know the truth, but are led by love and seeking to build one another up and seeking to pull those who don't know Jesus in, to be that sort of place. And it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. We gotta, we gotta, we're going to be called out. But, but anchoring ourselves in the word is the way to do that. And so, so encouraged by this passage because what Paul is saying here is actually they are free to do that. 
right? Because I'd, been, I'd never been around a church that just openly said, yeah, it's okay to drink alcohol. It is, get over it. Like, like the, somebody that adds that saying that this is, if you wanna be a Christian, you can't, that is just as detrimental to the gospel as somebody who is going on the other side. Like to, to add to it is just to add to the gospel and saying, yeah, it's all this, but I remember D.A. Carson, who's about as conservative as they come, saying this one time that, hey, I, I don't drink. Personally, I'm a teetotaler. I, I don't drink. But if, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, you, in order to be a Christian, it means you can't drink, he's going to say, pour me a glass. Pour me a glass. Because Jesus and only Jesus is the gospel. It's not Jesus plus these rules, Jesus plus this lifestyle. No, no, it is about the gospel. And so Paul is saying, hey, it actually is okay if you eat meat that's sacrificed to idols. It, it, you are free to do that. So I can see one, one side of the room or one group collectively saying, yeah, see? But Paul goes on, verse 7, because it's not over. He's going to call us that liberty, that freedom doesn't end there. We're just saying, see, it's okay or I can do it. He's going to say there's more to it because it's not just about what's right and wrong. It's not about what can I do. It's what, hey, should I do this? What what ought I to do based on the mission of God, based on the people of God, based on the people around me? And so Paul's gonna say this in verse seven. However, while that is true, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. So what he's saying is, hey, there's some among you that, hey, yes, you know, when it comes down to black and white, you're free to do that. But there's some among you, it's not that black and white because their lifestyle has been all entangled in that sort of worship. And so for them, their conscience is weaker in that area. And so if they go there and they try to participate in that sort of meal, it's going to cause them to sin. He's saying, verse 8, food will not commend us to God. Food, the, the meat itself, is neutral. It's not the issue. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and we're no better off if we do. It's important to remember, that's that legalism thing. It's, it's not, oh, well, I'm more commended to God because I don't drink or I don't participate in that. That doesn't work. You're undermining the gospel there. Paul's saying, it's not, food doesn't commend you to God. You're no better off if you do, and you're no worse off if you don't. But take care, he says, that this right of yours, this, this entitlement of yours, doesn't somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge and know this truth and are operating in a good conscience yourself, you don't feel like you're sinning, if they see you out eating in an idol's temple, will that person who's perhaps weaker in conscience then be encouraged to participate in the same thing? And because they're weaker in conscience, it might lead them to sin. And now you have led them to sin and you have sinned against Christ because you led them to sin. So Paul's saying it's not that simple. It's not just about what, I, what can I do. Everything is, everything is permissible, but is it beneficial? He'll say elsewhere in Corinthians. And so I think the easiest example, again, because we're not all just wondering about whether can I buy this meat or can I eat it. Like the easiest example, I think, for us is what I've already referenced a little bit, which is alcohol. Right? It's more common in our culture where there are some denominations, some churches, some people that have said absolutely no way if you do that, you're in sin, you're a pagan, how dare you? There's others that say, you know, to heck with you. This is our freedom. We don't care what you think. We don't care how it impacts others. We're just gonna do it. And Paul is saying it's not that simple. The ultimate is not found in knowledge of this side or that side. The ultimate is found in 
love and seeking what's best for others. So he says, take care of that. It doesn't become a stumbling block. For if they see you, that might cause them to sin. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed in the brother for whom Christ died. This sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So Paul is saying, hey, it's not about what you can do and what you can do. It's we are part of one body now. And while it may not be a sin for you, and that's true, it's not. And you shouldn't, like, it's just as dangerous to take your personal legalism and lay it on everybody else and say, right? So here's the deal. Like, there's some people who, uh, stick with the alcohol example, some people who, either based on their past, right, maybe they were an addict, or based on their family history, they, they feel predisposed to addiction, where they're going to say, man, for me, alcohol would be a sin. Right? For me to drink would be, an, would be a mistake. It would be against my conscience because I know that that's an issue for me. So for me, it would be a sin. Now, to lay that on everybody else, that's wrong. But to say, but for me, I, I'm not going to go there. So that, that's okay. Like Paul's saying, there's going to be people who that is true of. So, and let's take the example of somebody who's maybe just out of addiction and they, they come into a church gathering and they are struggling with that still. God, Jesus has set them free from that. But man, alcohol is not just a simple social thing for them. Alcohol is tied to getting drunk, to escaping, to being in that addiction. And so if they see some of God's people who are not in sin, right, are sharing a drink with one another, but it may cause them to say, oh, you know what, alcohol... And they may end up stumbling, sinning, and therefore, we need to be aware of that. It's not, well, hey, go, you know, go off and do your own thing. Like, that's your problem, not ours. We're not, it's saying, no, no, no. Because we're the body of Christ, there's going to be times where I lay down that freedom for the sake of my brother or my sister. So instead of just saying, what are you, a fool? You can't tell me it's wrong to sin. Like, you must just not know. And let me tell you some verses about why it's okay that I drink. Instead, you say, hey, okay, my bad. Like, I'll just set that drink aside. Like, Let's have a conversation. I'd love to get to know you. And you know what? I care more about you than I do that drink. So let me just get to know you. I don't need that drink. It's fine. Right? Let's, let's have a conversation. I care more about you than I do my freedom, my liberty. Paul is saying, because love seeks to build up, not just to prove my point that I'm right and you're wrong, but rather to lean in and say, well, hey, tell me your story then. We don't have to agree on that. Just tell me your story. I want to love you. I want to get to know you. I want to seek to build you up, point you to Christ. <clears throat> you could apply that to a lot of different things. You know, some smoking cigars, some getting tattooed. Like, I, I don't know. Like, there's, you can fill in the blank because it's not this black and white issue of can I or can't I. It's a wisdom issue. It's a collective, it's a love issue, actually. Is this going to cause my brother or sister to stumble? Paul says, listen, if food makes my brother stumble, if meat is going to be an issue for my brother, I don't, I'll never eat meat again. Why? Because his soul matters far more than my freedom and my craving for a steak or a beer or a glass of bourbon, right? So there may be times when as a community group, someone is brought into your fold that is fresh out of addiction or knows that, that that's a temptation for them, that they can't just be around it and be okay. They can't just take one drink. For me, like, this was difficult for me to get over because in the culture I grew up in, in kind of rural southern Illinois, like, nobody drank 
socially or casually. Everybody drank to get drunk. Like that was just what I experienced. I didn't see anybody drink. Like I didn't know what craft beer was, right? It was just like Keystone, Natty Light, Bush. Like just, and you just wanted the cheapest thing you could get so you could drink as much as you could so you could get drunk. Like that was just the angle. That was what people were doing. I, I, I did not experience a culture where people casually had a drink socially and did not sin, right? Because the Bible says alcohol is a gift, but drunkenness is a sin. So there's the tension, right? You can enjoy it as a gift, but if you're, in, if you're getting into drunkenness, you're losing control of what God is, you know, your, your faculties, then, then you crossed into a place of sin. And so I, I never saw that lived out real well. And so I had to be careful at times when I moved to St. Louis, like that culture was different. It, it, you know, people drank up air all the time without sinning. But when I came back home, I had to be careful. What, what is this going to portray to others if I'm trying to witness to somebody who's from that culture of, man, when we drink, it's till we get drunk, right? If I crack open a drink with them, is that going to lead them to get, you know, and honestly, it works both ways. There's sometimes whenever I've got to have the best gospel conversations because I've had a drink with somebody and they've said, oh, I thought you were a Christian. I say, I am. Well, but you're drinking. Yeah. It's, it's not about food and drink. And, and, and we get to have gospel conversation and it's been really good. But there's other times where I go, man, I know that if I do this, it's going to lead, it's going to derail the whole relationship. And it's going to be a distraction from the gospel. So I abstain. I don't need it, right? I can go without it. I don't need it. And, and that's, the, that's the thing. Paul, like, true freedom is whenever we're actually able to lay down our freedoms for our brother and sister. Because if not, think about it. If you can't, if you can't lay it down for your brother or your sister, then you're not free. You're in bondage to that. If you're so attached to it that you have to have it and you'll offend others for the sake of it, that doesn't sound like freedom. That was like you're in bondage to that deal. So true freedom is, is having the freedom, having the ability to lay down our freedoms for one another. And the example that Paul gives here is the Trinity. What he says is, hey, we got one God, but it's God the Father and God the Son. And other places we talk about God the, the Spirit. And so it's one God, three persons, and none of them are combating for, you know, attention or glory. What are they doing? They're all deferring to one another. They're all serving one another. They're all uplifting one another. That is the definition of love, laying down themselves for the other one. And we see that in perfect harmony in the person of our God. One God, three persons. It's a Incredible mystery that I don't have time to unpack today and really not even equipped to unpack because it's an incredible mystery. But in that, we see that that is who our God is and that's the kind of community he invites us into. And then out of that perfect union, that perfect harmony, that perfect holiness, Jesus steps down. He lays down his rights. Philippians 2 gives the most beautiful poetic uh, depiction of Jesus saying, he considered equality with God something that he didn't have to cling to, and he laid it down. And he entered into our brokenness, and he gave his life for us. So we have this Jesus, the stronger, older brother, right, laying aside his freedom, his entitlement for the sake of who? Us, the weaker brother, so that he could bring us salvation. This is who we're called to be to the world. Not worried about this issue or that issue, but rather pursuing love. I'm not saying doctrine's not important. I just said that's part of what I love about our church. We do care about this. 
but what Paul says, if you got all the knowledge in the world, and you're, that's going to lead you to be puffed up. If you got all that, but you don't have love, you're going to be a noisy gong, right? It's not attractive. If you just got love and no truth, that's not attractive either, right? If, I mean, if you just got a bunch of tolerance and you don't ever speak, the, like, that's not loving either. But Paul says, the, the, the people of God are to be both and. So it's, hey, let me have, let's have a conversation. We don't have to agree on this right now. I just want to love you, right? So there may be time when that community group needs to say, hey, we got a brother or sister that, man, that's a stumbling block for them. So we don't have alcohol at our social gatherings. Bummer? Yeah, maybe. But big deal? No. Why? Because we care more about that brother or sister than we do a stinking drink, right? And that's okay. That should be this type of sacrifice that we do for one another. Why? Because that's just a glimpse of the sacrifice that Jesus has done for us. Listen, here's, here's how I like, want to implore you as we end this. Our world is ripe for people of God to live out this sort of sacrificial love for one another. What's Jesus say? They'll know us by our what? Our right political view. They'll know us by whether we've discerned that the government is really wrong and, and masks don't work or they do or, right? Like, is, is that what Jesus says? They'll know you by whether or not you post the right article or have the, no, no, no. He says what? They'll know you by your love. Listen, our culture is all sorts of tense right now. There's a, I encourage you to read the article on your app that says, hey, don't let corona divide your church. It's some incredible instructions. It's an incredible article. Please, all of you, read it. But the invitation is, hey, we have an opportunity, church, people of God, to be a countercultural witness when everybody's divided, when everybody's dug in, when everybody's fearful, and, and right, rightly so, I'm not saying there's not issues going on. I'm saying that we have an opportunity to love one another and to love our world in a way that will bring glory to God and bring hope to people. Bringing hope to people, like the best witness is not getting our viewpoint to be agreed upon or liked by the most on Facebook or whatever, the best witness is that we show love for one another. So as, listen, real practically, as we seek to go back into gathering, as we're, we're eagerly exploring, just so you know, as elders, as staff, like we're exploring every opportunity. How can we gather what, when and how soon? And we're, we're trying to communicate with, you know, government officials. Like we believe there's kind of, we're lacking in that. But here's the deal. As we do that, there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be some of you who think differently than others. There's going to be some of you who think it's ridiculous that you would have to wear a mask. You're offended by it. And you think it's, it's foolish. But, but let me invite you. Is it not worth it to lay that freedom down for the sake of your brother who might think it's really, really important to wear a mask? who might think it's really, really important, and they might be really, really fearful. They might want to come to church, but they're really, really fearful. And so a place that, that takes every precaution might create an environment for them where they feel safe enough to come and hear the gospel. Some people were asking last week when we were driving service, why are you people outside got masks on? So not trying to make any political statement. The only statement we're interested in making is this is a safe place. I, everybody has different agreements on that. I get it. I get it. I really do. The opportunity we have is to lay down our rights for the sake of our brother or our sister out of love. Does that mean you don't engage the government? No. It means that we are a people who actually have nuanced conversations. 
right? That we are people who can actually be skeptical of some of the government's restrictions while, while not, you know, it, it's subscribing to full-on conspiracy theories, right? Where we can be a people who, who, who have our own conviction and thoughts about other, you know, restrictions and whatever, but we don't condemn and, and look down upon those who think differently than us. That as Christians, we can be the light and the hope of the world because we are bound by our pursuit of love, not our pursuit of being right, being wrong, and our liberty. It's not super cut and dry, I get it, but we're gonna need this grace. As, and different churches are gonna do it different than us, right? And different states are gonna do it. Like, it's really complex, and honestly, I'm exhausted by trying to figure out what's right and wrong. It's, it's exhausting. But what we can bank on is that Jesus calls us to love. He calls us to love. And he will use that as a witness that brings glory to his name. Let's be a people of God who both love truth and grace and people and doctrine. Let's lay down our rights, lay down, for the sake of a brother or sister, we are quick to say, I don't need that. I love you more than I love that. Let's pray. God, help us to flesh this out. Help us to find truth and the bal not balance for the sake of some ethereal idea, but like where we're anchored by who we are in you and what you've done for us in a way that allows us to be a people of reasonableness, a people of hope. and of good witness in this season of tension for our world. And beyond that, Lord, as we just try to love one another, some brothers are weaker in this area, some are stronger in other areas, like maybe we just flesh this out in a way that brings glory and honor to you and creates an attractive community for people to come and be a part of so that they may know you. Help us, Lord Jesus. We ask it in your powerful name, knowing that that is the only place that we find hope. It's in that name we pray now. Amen.